Well, I'd like you to turn once again to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and reading at verse 19. Luke 16, and at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. You know, when the Lord told his parables, and he told many of them, he had two real thrusts toward his parable. One was to speak to the outcasts of society, the publicans, the sinners, the outcasts of society. And he preached to them that the ungodly and the sinner had a place in the kingdom of God. But they were to beware of the unrighteous mammon. They weren't to give their hopes and aspirations to ambitions which would simply fulfill the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life. To the scribes and Pharisees, he preached the parables as warnings. To the ungodly and the sinner, he preached them as a lesson of life. To the scribes and Pharisees, he preached warnings. Although the scribes and Pharisees continued to, to find fault with all that the Lord did, he continued to warn them. And he warned them uh, that their lives were built on the God Mammon. That although they knew the scriptures, they didn't live their lives according to the scriptures. Although they knew the letter of the law, they didn't keep the spirit of the law. And so the Lord again and again warned them that they were whited sepulchres. Everything on the outside looked very clean and bright and upright, but internally they were full of putrefying sores. And that's really the difference between a hypocrite and a sinner. A hypocrite is one who thinks his life is okay, he presents a goodly vision for the world around him and he really has nothing to go to God to seek for any forgiveness. Whereas ungodly in the sinner, brought under conviction of sin, sees immediately, as many examples in the New Testament show us, that there was only one hope for them, uh, that God would be merciful to those who were sinners. Now, sometimes this parable is called the parable of dives and Lazarus. Now, the word dives comes from the Latin, and it speaks about someone being very rich and opulent, very wealthy. And so whether we talk about the rich man and Lazarus, or dives and Lazarus, it is 
the same story. And I call it a story, not a parable, because it appears that the Lord doesn't say anything about it being a parable. He says, there was a rich man. And so this was a, a story about two people that the Lord knew of and that he was here speaking about. We're told that the rich man died. And Lazarus also died and was carried to Abraham's bosom. As I said earlier on, it was a symbolic of being carried into heaven by the angels. But why was the rich man lost and the poor man saved? There are many good rich men and many bad poor men or people. And so the fact as to whether we're rich or poor really has no bearing upon this parable, although sometimes those who are in very poor circumstances thought that perhaps if their lives had been so bad in this life that the next life was bound to have something better for them. But that's not what the Lord here is saying. No one was ever simply lost because they were rich. And no one was ever given heaven for simply being poor. Both were in the place where God in his providence had placed them. The rich man in God's providence had been given riches and he'd been given an inheritance and he'd been giving plenty of God's blessings. And part of the problem, difficulty is for those of us who are Christians, we think that if we're good Christians, God will reward us in some material way. And it's a totally wrong way of looking at life. We think if we don't receive the good things of life, then somehow we are not being good as far as God is concerned and that he's punishing us in, in some way or other. But again, the Bible never speaks of rewards or or losses in those terms. So both were given their place in life to honour God and to glorify God and to make their lives in this world so that they would be testimonies of God's grace towards them. What they did with their lives and this resulting in their subsequent destinies, was up to them. The rich man had every good thing in abundance, as we've already been seeing. While the beggar, full of sores, was poor and hungry, probably friendless, and tormented in mind and body. But life, with all its joys and all its sorrows and difficulties, soon passes. And we enter into a new existence where none of the difficulties, this valley of tears, is no more. And we enter into an existence which is governed by the way that we've lived our life here on earth. Whether we've committed our lives to God or whether we've committed our lives to ourselves. Remember the parable of the 
tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee prayed with, to himself and looked up to heaven and thank you I'm not as other men especially as that tax collector over there. The tax collector looks inside himself and sees himself as he truly is and says God be merciful to me a sinner. And that's the only difference that will really count at the end of the day. Whether we put our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be our surety and our hope, whether we're depending upon what we are and what we've done and what we have hoped to have achieved to our own praise during our lifetimes. And so they were both given ample opportunity to glorify God, to be led by the Holy Spirit in each of their shares of trials and temptations and blessings. And so the scene is set. Rich man, poor man. How they lived their lives was going to determine where destiny for eternity. Well, we're told the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The one who on earth had nowhere to lay his head, who was always hungry, who was probably dressed in rags, received very little kindness from anyone, was welcomed into the church of the firstborn in heaven. There God wiped away every tear from his face and there he was welcomed into the throne room of God, taken to the very fountain of the waters of life, and there to be fed and watered at the very fountain of the waters of life. His light affliction, which was but for a moment, as we consider the difference between time and eternity, worked for him far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. But why? Why did Lazarus go to heaven when he died? Was it because he suffered all his life and was poor all his life and he received none of the good things in his life? No. He suffered because he thirsted after God. In his life, he saw that life had no meaning for him that life, instead of being something to complain about and envying others who were better off than themselves, saw that life had really nothing to offer him, that only God in heaven was his hope and his reward. See, many have suffered as much and more than Lazarus during their lifetimes. Suffering on its own has never taken anyone to heaven. Very often it it hardens a sufferer. Uh, but suffering as a talent given by God to sharpen our desire for him, given as a talent whereby he expects us to be exercised with our suffering, can work for us far more than anything of the blessings of life can very often do. To be in a bad place materially and physically 
is not a curse. Very often it's a blessing. Where we find that this life and what it has to offer are really nothing. And it's only as we look to Christ and see in Christ all our joy and all our reward that our lives are turned around and we find that hope and that life in Christ that shall never end. But if we refuse to see God's hand in our sorrows, all that happens is that we harden our hearts. If we see ourselves as being poor and downtrodden and seeing others who are better off than ourselves and we envy them and we we curse our, our own situation, then our hearts will harden against God. Many Many people have experienced sickness and bereavement and sorrow and trials with little respite year after year. And through it all, perhaps hearts have been hardened more and more. Remember Pharaoh, all that he experienced in Egypt. How every trial caused his heart to be hardened more until eventually his own child was taken because of his rebellion and his obstinacy before God. And that's the way it would be with us. If we see ourselves as, as, as receiving evil from God, perhaps even like Naomi. Call me not Naomi anymore, call me Mara. And we see there someone whose heart was hardened against God even though she returned to Bethlehem, the the barley harvest, which was eventually to be her redemption. Yet, on her coming back to Jerusalem, her heart was hardened and she found herself distanced from God and complaining that God's hand had gone out against her. And that's how it can be when we suffer. That's how it can be when life's trials seem so difficult to deal with. But really, they are a talent to be exercised by us. And to those who have, God shall give more in abundance. But that's how it was with Lazarus. It's true his sorrows didn't take him to heaven, but he learned that life didn't last. It was only a a temporary existence. When time was no more, When the temporal was passed away, only the spiritual remained. The Holy Spirit led him to the Christ of the Bible. No one else can do it. None of us, whether we are suffering or whether we are greatly blessed in material goodness, are ever led to the Christ of the Bible in and of ourselves by what we've heard or by by what people we meet with or live with. It's only by the power of and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we are brought to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ only by his power and it's there that we must go if we seek eternal life it's to God we must go seeking the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds into the knowledge of the truth and to renew our will and to enable us to embrace Jesus Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel it's only the Holy Spirit that can do these things that's his mission to 
make known Christ to us, to open our minds to our own misery, our own wastefulness in this life, our prodigality in this life, and to turn to God in Christ. And he does that. He makes us willing in the day of his power. And from that thing for Lazarus, all things passed away. And behold, all things became new. All the suffering, all the evil that surrounded him was no longer a consideration. He looked past those things. He looked to the Christ who was to be his saviour. And he was happier and richer than Dives ever was enduring his rich life full of food and clothes. Just one thing in the passing. Neither of these two people would have changed their situation during their lifetimes. Dives, the rich man, was perfectly content with the way he was. Content to be without God. Content to live the life he was living. Content to be surrounded by friends and family and riches and whatever else. The poor man was also satisfied. He was satisfied with Christ. Satisfied that the Holy Spirit had revealed Christ to him. Satisfied that this world with all its trials and difficulties was not something that was going to last forever and that there was a heaven waiting for him. But how can I say all that about Lazarus? How can I say that Lazarus finding nothing in this world in which he lived found Christ and was satisfied in him and by him? Because the scripture tells us that no man comes to the Father but by Christ. And that there is no name given amongst men under heaven by whom we must be saved. Whatever other religions there might be, whatever other gods there might be, there is only one living and true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only true and living God and all other gods are idols dumb which blinded nations fear but our God is the God by whom the heavens created were so how can we say all this about Lazarus and be assured that Lazarus was saved because as I said the scriptures tell us no one knows the father but the one to whom Christ takes the Father. There is no other way to the Father but by the Son. No one else who knows the Father but the Son and those to whom the Son reveals the Father. In God's providence, anything can take a man to God. Read there in Ecclesiastes of Solomon, king in Jerusalem, the preacher, a man who went a long way astray, a man who, who tried every aspect of 
of pleasure in this life, whether it was pleasure or, or wealth or, or knowledge or, or folly. What, he tried everything. And all these were a chasing after the wind, meaningless. Life became for him meaningless until at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, what is the whole end of man? To serve God and to keep his commandments. And there is no other chief end of man, we know that from your first catechism, to enjoy God. Man's chief end is to serve God and to enjoy God and to know him, not only in time, but also for eternity. So it can take a Solomon to Christ, it can take a Lazarus to Christ. Whether it's the abundance of riches in the case of Solomon, or whether it's the abundance of burdens and cares that takes a person to Christ. Anything can be used by the Holy Spirit to make us willing in a day of his power. And if we really want to be saved, and surely none who come to this house of prayer and worship Lord's Day after Lord's Day would want anything else about yourself or your loved ones and families but that you would be in that family members of the family of God joined together in brotherly love and sisterly love joined together in, in worship and, and in praise and in glory to God if anyone had taken the time to talk to Lazarus they would have found that his love for God and his joy in God was paramount you know if you think again back to your catechism what is what accompanies justification, adoption and sanctification? What gifts does God give to his people, to those who are subject to those great blessings? Assurance of God's love. Peace of conscience. Any one of these the world would give everything for. Assurance that God would love them. A peace of conscience in a world that is, is troubled by its conscience day after day, hour after hour. Joy in the Holy Spirit. To know that the Holy Spirit indwells us, is guiding us, directing us, educating us. Increasing our grace so that we, we grow from those who are doubting to full assurance of faith and a perseverance that will continue throughout our days. What a perseverance that we somehow work up in ourselves and exercise in ourselves but a perseverance which God guarantees to us that he will never let us go he has a love for us that will never release us a love for us that will continue to strive with us who shall separate us Paul says from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus those are the great benefits that each and every one who is in Christ Jesus knows and experiences and that was the end of Lazarus. That was his, the experience he had during life and which continued and grew and abounded more and more throughout the endless ages of glory. And what of the rich man? Who were told the rich man died and was buried. And in hell lifted up his eyes in torment 
and saw Lazarus afar off. Neither wealth, nor privilege, nor influence, nor prestige could save this man from dying. Many people try everything they can. They'll try every drug, they'll try every operation, they'll try every design known to man and some pretended to by man and believe it and try to extend their lives and their existence here in this world but nothing can save us from dying the devil does try and dispel that thought from all our minds stop men and women from thinking about death thinking about a God who will one day judge the guilty thinking about the verse in the Lord in Hebrews which speaks about as appointed unto once and to all men once to die and after that the judgment these are texts the devil doesn't want us to think about he wants to think about only life and to, to put off those things till another day when you're older when you've achieved something in your life when you're in retirement whatever it might be the devil is quite happy as long as you put it off he wants you, you to prevaricate. He wants you to put things off. He wants you to go on blindly into the future without making any plans and preparations. Somebody once said a long time, we make preparations for everything. We make preparations for our exams, make preparations for going to university, for getting married, for our work, even for our retirement but never for death. It's the one thing that we know will happen, something that will overtake each one of us, and yet it's perhaps the one event in our life we make absolutely no preparation for. But it is appointed unto all men who wants to die, and after that, the judgment. The day, for many of us, I suppose, might seem a long way off and this rich man was young no doubt he was strong and healthy dressed in fine linen and purple surrounded by flattery and friends and every goodness that money could buy but death came just the same grew from a young man to a middle aged man to an old man and then eventually died How many times have we heard it said of others? Anything fresh today? Yes. Someone's died at a death in the village. Young and old, sick and healthy. You've all experienced it in your own homes and among your own families and friends. People taken out of time and into eternity. The Lord reminds us Elsewhere, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. 
as long as we're here on mercy's ground, we can be saved. As long as we're here, hearing the gospel, as long as we're here with a faint, however faint desire it might be, to hear the gospel and to be saved and to be numbered amongst the Lord's people, there is hope for us. But as the tree falls, so shall it lie. Every one of us who are being saved are sinners. Sinners saved by the grace and the mercy of God in Christ. Christ came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The label that was unjustly applied to the Lord, he is the friend of publicans and sinners, as though that was some sort of derogatory statement. It was a badge he wore with honour. He's a friend of the outcast, of sinners, of the ungodly. He wants to make them his people, members of his body. But time is no man's servant. Each day, each week, each month, each year brings us closer to the time when we shall have to stand before the great white throne. Today it's still a throne of grace, a throne of mercy. But the time will come when it will be a throne of judgment. Today we're asked to bow the knee and to confess our sins and to glorify him. The day will come when the throne of judgment will have to bow the knee. The one who has received a name that is above every name. At the name of Jehovah, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Jehovah to the glory of God. And then we will know that the man of sorrows, the one who was acquainted with grief, did it all for us. And if you are in him, you rejoice. If not, you will know only sorrow and solitude. Remember Chalmers' words, just in closing. Chalmers, Chalmers, Thomas Chalmers. I'm sure you all know one of the, the great men who began the Free Church. Was an unconverted man when he began his ministry in the parish of Tilmany in Fife. And he thought, and I suspect many are beginning to think in the same way today, that he could do what he wanted for the week and then perhaps for two or three hours on the Saturday he could prepare his sermons for the Sunday and that's all that was required of him. And he spent many years in that parish just living that way, engaged as professor of mathematics in St. Andrews University and so his life was full. But one day he was laid aside. He thought he was on his deathbed. And it was during that illness that he was brought to see the reality of things. 
and he came to see it in the terms of his own interests of, of his own life the brevity of time and the endlessness of eternity how short time is and how endless eternity will be and why should we waste our time with the things of time to the neglect of the things of eternity for now is the accepted time today is the day of salvation so may the Lord bless these thoughts to us let us then conclude our worship singing to God's praise in Psalm 73 on page 316 Psalm 73 at verse 23 nevertheless continually O Lord I am with thee thou dost me hold by my right hand and still upholdest me we'll sing to the end of the psalm to God's praise standing to sing
and peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, rest on you and abide in you now and always. Amen. <laughs>